All right, we're continuing our study through the Old Testament. We slipped into 2 Samuel last week, so we're, we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 2 today. If you remember, King Saul had died, so at this point, Israel was without an official king. So David was still on the land of the Philistines where he was hiding from King Saul before Saul died. And now that David has repented of his running from the Lord and he's back walking with the Lord, we're going to jump back into the story here in verse 2. I mean, verse 1 in chapter 2. It says, uh, it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, where shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. <clears throat> so we notice a very good thing here. David seeks the Lord for guidance. <laughs> We'd love to see that. Uh, when a Christian is seeking the Lord for guidance, it's a really good sign that he's walking with the Lord as he should be. So that's what we rejoice. You know, it's cool the Lord gives us these little clues along the way to see this change in his heart that he's had. He really did repent. He's back with the Lord, and he's, he's seeking the Lord now for, for direction and everything. So when the Lord answered David after he asked, you know, shall I go up to any of these cities, the Lord basically said, yes, he should go up. He said, yep, go up. So uh, David asked for further guidance, and the Lord gave it to him, you know. He said, uh, well, where do you want me to go? And he, he tells him very specifically. So the cool thing is here, uh, the Lord has, has given us a picture here. We can learn from this that when we ask the Lord for guidance, uh, we can continue to ask him to be even more specific if we need it, and he will. He'll guide us. So it's amazing how clear the Lord can be when we ask him for help like this. Uh, you know, a lot of times I think we just forget to ask. <laughs> So this, this city that uh, he's told him to go up to, this is actually a, a city that's in the territory of the tribe of Judah, and that's the tribe where David was from. So it's, it would make sense the Lord sends him right back kind of to his, his homeland area there. So verse 2, it says, So David went up from there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, and David brought up the men who were with him, this is all his 600 men there, every man with his household. So their families came too. So, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. So we see that David obeyed the Lord. You know, he brought his family, brought his men, they brought their families, and they all moved back to David's homeland area in, in the area of the tribe of Judah. So it goes on in verse 4. Then the men of Judah came, so these are the guys from that area living there, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So they didn't announce him as king over all of Israel, but they announced him as king over the house of Judah, over that tribe. And they told David, saying, the men of Jabesh Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So these men that came to David, they only had authority over their own tribe. So they appointed David as king over their tribe. You know, David had already been anointed as king by, with, uh, when Samuel came and anointed him, Samuel the prophet, if you remember. So this here is kind of an official recognition that David was now going to start to fill that role that God had called him to, to fulfill. So now we get in the, the second part of the verse 4, and it says, these guys had a message for David. They said these, the men of Jabesh Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. They wanted to make sure that David knew about this. So they were letting him know that these are the guys who risked their lives 
to go and rescue the body of King Saul. You remember they had uh, put his body up and were kind of mocking Israel and mocking Israel's God. So uh, these guys from Jabesh Gilead, you remember the story, Saul had helped them out a long time before he, uh, a long time ago, it was before he even became king. And these guys did not forget the kindness that Saul showed them. So they went back and they rescued his body from the wicked people who had it and uh, those that were mocking Israel. So they went and got it, and these guys wanted to make sure that David knew that these were the guys. So uh, you think about this. What a reputation these guys had for doing the right thing, even when it meant risking their lives to do so. So that's not a bad reputation at all. That's pretty cool. So verse 5, so David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and he said to them, you are blessed of the Lord. And here's the reason. For you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. So David was saying, you know, Lord bless you guys for your kindness that you displayed. And uh, David acknowledged, too, that, you know, they were loyal subjects under King Saul. Uh, He said, you you guys did a very honorable thing here. So verse 6 goes on. He says, now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. So he's asking the Lord to really uh, bless them. And he says, I also repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. So he's sending his you know, regards and well wishes toward them as well. Uh, he's, he's really impressed with what they've done. He wants to acknowledge they did a good thing here in, what, in the way they acted. Uh, verse seven, it says, now therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So David encourages them. You know, he, he wants them to continue to go forward in strength of the Lord, and he wants to let them know, you know, that the tribe of Judah had anointed him as king over them, so they do have a place to go to have a king. That's what he's letting them know. But we're going to find out because of their loyalty to Saul, they eventually were going to become the headquarters of one of Saul's sons who was going to be made king uh, in a minute here. So instead of joining David right away, Uh, This shows up in the next verse of what's going to take place. If you look at verse um, 8 there, it says, so I love it when it starts out with this word but to let you know things are going this direction, but when you see the word but, direction's changing, something else is going on. So at this point, it looks like things are going pretty smooth. David is letting these guys know that he's the the king over Judah and kind of like a welcome if you want to come in. And it says in verse 8, but Abner, he's the son of Ner, He's the commander of Saul's army. He was. He took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. It says, and he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. So this place it's talking about, this Mahanaim, was the capital of Gilead. And this is where the men of Jabesh-Gilead end up siding with Saul's family rather than siding with David as their king. So Abner here that's mentioned, he was the commander of Saul's army, and he wasn't interested in David becoming king at this point, even though he clearly knew the Lord had promised to, to David that he was going to be the king. He's aware of that, and we find that out later on in the story, okay? So what does that tell us? Abner here is going against God's will, and he knows that. He's going to try to do things his own way, and it's not going to turn out good for him. 
So it, it, when he starts out, it's going to look like things are, are going okay. You know, they're going his way. But when things start to go bad eventually, they get bad in a hurry. And we can learn from this, right? When the Lord says that we're to trust him with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding, one of the things the Lord is doing there, he's actually trying to protect us from ourselves and from the faulty plans and ideas that we come up with. You know, when we do things our own way, they may seem like a good idea at the start, but that's the trick of the enemy. You know, he'll encourage us to go down the wrong road that we've come up with on our own thinking because he knows that that is not the road to blessing. So he'll be patting you on the back. He knows that's the road to disaster. It's not the one you really want to be on. But the enemy will try to convince you you've made the right decision here. So we see this guy that's mentioned here too in verse 8. His name is Ishbosheth. He was one of the sons of King Saul. Remember, some of the sons were killed when the, the battle took place with the Philistines, but somehow he wasn't there or he wasn't killed in the battle. And it's very possible that he just wasn't a fighter and Saul didn't put him in that position knowing he'd probably do more damage to him than help. So he wasn't there. Uh, and somehow him and Abner, who's the commander of Saul's army, they escaped and they were able to survive that battle. So Abner here, he makes him the king over the rest of the tribes of Israel, which is a strange thing altogether, all right? Uh, <laughs> Abner was related to King Saul. We, we find that from other places. And he apparently wanted to keep the ruler of Israel in Saul's family, at least for a while, okay? So he's going against God in this. He's doing his own thing. And, and that's one of the major things we'll see in our, our passage today, uh, what it's like when you do your own thing and what kind of stuff you can expect to start happening, okay? Now, the place where Abner took him to be, to be declared king is kind of interesting, too. It was on the east side of the Jordan River. So he basically took him out of the promised land to pull off the stunt, all right? And there was a good reason for this. <laughs> the reason was because the Philistines were now in charge of the land of Israel. If you remember, they had conquered King Saul, right? It took them 40 years to do that, but finally they've now got control, so he's, he's pulling him out of the land and declaring him to be king over all of this territory, which is under Philistine rule. <laughs> okay, so there's a couple problems with his idea here. You know, first off, Abner just said, you're going to be the king over all this recently conquered land of Israel. So the majority of the land is under the control of the Philistines and not even under Israel's control. And secondly, this new king, Ishbosheth is a king that has not been anointed by the Lord, okay? So you talk about a messed up plan. And this is Abner. He came up with this idea. He's going to pull this off. He's going to pull his stunt, okay? And, and that's what we're left with when we decide to take matters in our own hand. When we do them our way versus God's way, especially when God has made it perfectly clear what his will is, we have a mess that we have come up with, and it's our messed up plan. We can't blame the Lord for anything that takes place on that one. I mean, can you imagine this conversation Abner must have had with Ishbosheth? He says, hey, I'm going to make you the king over Israel. And the answer is, cool, so what do I get to do? And Abner says, well, not much actually, because we don't have control of the land right now. You know, the Philistines do. But don't worry, because I'm sure we'll be back in the land someday. 
Can, can you see the look on this guy's face? Like, so you gave me a title, but it doesn't really mean anything, right? Well, you got these few people here that we got on this side of the river. You're good to go right there. But uh, don't push it too far because the Philistines are over there. They're not going to be too happy with you right now. Yeah, so this is his great plan that he came up with, okay? Uh, verse, verse 10 says, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And this is a puzzling one when you look at this. He reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. So it was only uh, the Judah itself that followed David. The rest of them were going to follow him. And then in verse 11, it says the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So this guy ruled for two years, and David ruled for seven and a half years, and they ruled during the same time. So what's up with that? Uh, I think the reason, this is the best answer I found, that Ishbath reigned only two years, it, it probably took him over five years to recover a lot of the territory of Israel back from under the Philistines' control. So it's possible that he only really ruled over all of Israel for two years. <laughs> you know, he was working at it a lot of the time, but his actually reign over them was just considered two years. And we see this, this Ishbosh was only a, a Ishbosheth, excuse me, was only a king for a short time anyway. But look at David's situation here. He's been waiting 10 years to be the king over Israel and see the promise of God fulfilled in his life. And now that Saul is no longer king, I mean, doing the math, you would think, okay, it's my time to step up. <laughs> You'd expect David to be put right in his place. But no, <clears throat> David, we find out here, has to wait another seven and a half years being the king over just one of the 12 tribes. That's a long time to wait. And he hasn't seen the fulfillment of that promise yet. And that's what's interesting about the scripture. We might read a couple of verses or flip a page, and there are years and years that have gone by. You know, seven and a half years, day by day by day. That, that's some time, right? So David has waited for 10 years, been on the run for those 10 years. Now seven and a half years, he's king over one tribe. And what the thing is, you don't see David complain about this at all, which is amazing. So what we see is when the Lord's preparing us for the job he has for us to do, it may take a, a bit longer in the training process than we imagine at first. You know, those can be very frustrating times when we're waiting. We may start to have doubts, which is kind of normal. You're thinking, well, maybe I heard God wrong, you know. Maybe when Samuel came to anoint me, maybe he did get the wrong guy. Maybe he missed it. It was supposed to be my brother or something, you know. You think he may start having these thoughts, you know. It makes you wonder. But we have to just hang in there. The Lord knows exactly how much training and preparation we need. We might disagree with him on that, but the Lord is always right, right? He doesn't make mistakes. And when God makes a promise, he's going to bring it to pass. Only he's going to make it happen in his time, not ours. And that's what's hard for us. We want it now in our time. And the Lord says, it's not time yet. So David doesn't get shook over this. He just keeps trusting in the Lord and waiting for something that you know is coming, but you haven't seen it fulfilled yet. That is a hard thing to do, you know? Here's a verse that, that can encourage us. Uh, if you want to look at Isaiah 64, good verse to hang on to uh, when you're in that process of waiting. Isaiah 64 
in verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you. He's the only true God. And look what it says about our God here. Who acts for the one who waits for him. (laughs) The Lord is the one who will do things for the person who is willing to wait for him. Isn't that amazing? So somebody pointed this verse out, and I thought, man, this is really helpful. Uh, You know, there are times when we're waiting on the Lord, and it looks like things are just never going to happen. But the Lord is working on a lot of things in the background, including preparing us and training us, but he's working on situations as well. So we have to be really patient, you know. Uh, David couldn't go and jump any further than he was supposed to be right now. It wouldn't do any good anyway. You know, the people weren't where God wanted them to be, and maybe David needed further training himself, so you just don't want to interfere with God's plan. Uh, Here you have a verse, too, that promises that our God likes to make things happen for those people who wait on him. So be encouraged if you're waiting on the Lord today, and you said it's been a long time. He is faithful all the time, and his promises never fail, okay? And there's another good verse, too, in Isaiah, if you're still there. Look at Isaiah 30. Yeah, somebody pointed out these verses. I said, man, these are really, really good verses to, to go through and hold on to when you're going through this time of waiting. Isaiah 30 and verse 18. It says, therefore, this is verse 18 there. Therefore, the Lord will wait. And here's the reason. That he may be gracious to you. God's desire is to be gracious to us. And he'll wait until it's that time that he's going to be able to give you all the grace that he has saved up to give you. And it says, and therefore, he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and look what it says, blessed are all those who wait for him. (laughs) What a great verse to hold on to when the Lord's put something on your heart and he just hasn't brought it to happen yet, and you're saying, Lord, come on. When's this going to happen? And Lord says, be patient, my child. I'm working things out. I'm working in you. I'm working through you. I'm working in other situations. And the day will come where my promise will be fulfilled. So we don't have to worry about that. We just got to wait for the Lord's timing. So we're told in that verse there, the Lord wants to be gracious to us. You know, he wants to bless us further than we're even thinking. And he even promises to bless those who are willing to wait on him. So if we took these verses seriously, those two we just looked at, we could actually get excited when we have a promise from the Lord because we know the Lord is going to work things out in a very special way to fulfill his will in our life. It's going to be in his time. And we could be excited like, it's coming. I don't know when, but it's coming because he promised this, you know. So hold on to those promises. Don't, don't let the enemy say, well, that's never going to happen. Might as well forget about that one. No, put that aside and say, no, no, no. My Lord promises I'm holding on to the promise, okay? So David has learned this in his life by now, to just wait on the Lord and trust him. And he's doing that. He's doing a great job of it. Because like I said, there's no place recorded here where he's complaining about it. Saying, what's up, Lord? I thought you said you were going to do this. And I'm still waiting. You know, we don't see that. And you know, the thing is, the more we get to know the Lord, the easier it is to trust him, Right? <laughs> And that really helps us in the waiting process. To know he's coming through. I haven't seen it yet, but that's all right. It's as good as done. God said it. I'm just waiting. 
So go on to verse 12 in our, back in our passage in 2 Samuel 2. It says, Now Abner, the son of Ner, so we've got another guy coming in the picture here, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Maanim to Gideon. So Abner is stepping up to the, the picture here. We saw him before. He was the commander of Saul. He's now the guy who thinks he can make people king over God's land. And he's got a plan here. He takes some men. And he goes from Mahanam, which is where they kind of set up their, their headquarters, and he goes to Gibeon here. So, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he decides to move into David's area now. That's where he's headed to. So this is an aggressive move that Abner is making. He's basically challenging David's reign. And you know, it's a foolish thing to come against the Lord's plan. And, and that's one of the dangers of us taking things in our own hands uh, we might actually choose to go down the path that runs directly against God's will. And when that happens, we're in real trouble. So verse 13, Joab, the son of Jeriah, and the servants of David, and Joab is basically the commander of David's army, he takes some guys, and then he went out and he met them. So he heard about this situation that was going to take place. He heard that Abner's kind of sneaking into the territory. So he's going to try to kind of nip it in the bud. He goes out there uh, to meet him. And it says he went out to meet him by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. So we've got this kind of little face-off where there's this kind of a huge pool area in the middle. And the one guys are on the one side and the other ones are on the other side. And they've come to fight. They didn't come just to hang out here. So there's some tension going on. Now, Joab here, as I mentioned, uh, he was David's commander. He's also David's nephew, so there's a blood relation on this side as well. And uh, he found out about him approaching, so he's going to try to stop this. In verse 14, it says, Then Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab's, Joab said, Let them arise. So what they're doing here, they're going to select some of their best warriors from both sides, they're going to have them fight, okay? And whichever side has the last man standing, they'd be considered the better army, and thus they would be considered the rulers of the land. Okay? They both agreed to do this, and rather than having all their troops engage in battle and take the chance of losing a lot of soldiers, they said, we'll just, we'll just select these guys here and we'll have them do this, okay? So we're told how they, they did this here. It says in verse 15, so they arose... And they went, went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 from the servants of David. So there's 24 guys lining up to fight here, 12 on each side. Okay? Now they're going to fight each other two at a time. So they'd send the first two guys out to fight, then the next two would go, and the next two would go, and it would continue going through the line. And when they lined up and they fought each other, each soldier killed his opponent, we're told here in verse 16, each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side so they fell down together. I mean, they both had the same fighting strategy. I'm going to go out there and grab the guy by the head and shove my sword in his side. So they all did it. I mean, if you watch this, you're thinking like, what in the world? It kind of looks like a mirror. These guys doing the same thing and they're all falling over dead. So it says they fell on together, therefore that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. It's like, wow, what a, what a nice place to visit. One of our attractions over to the side here, where all these guys killed each other, right? So uh, these guys lined up from both sides, and after it was over, 
you know, all the remaining soldiers, they kind of looked at each other and says, well, that didn't work, so what now? And they're kind of stoked up. I guess the adrenaline is pumping as they watch these guys and thinking, you should have done this, should have done that. So now they're going to fight. They decided, we got to do this. So the battle uh, they tried to avoid ended up happening anyway. Isn't that funny? When we think we know better than God, we've got our plans and we're going to set things up and it's going to work our way. Lord says, huh, watch this. And it's not going to work. So here, sadly, you have Israelites now going to battle against Israelites. Now, verse 17 goes on. So there was a very fierce battle that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. So Abner's men, did they didn't prevail against David's guys here. Uh, David's got some tough guys, all right? Verse 18 goes on, now the three sons of Zeruiah were there, and Zeruiah is David's sister. Uh, Joab, that's how he's related to David, he's a nephew, he's the commander of his army. Abishai and Asahel, and Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. So these three men were sons of David's sisters. They apparently get so excited about this victory that they're going to set their sights on going after Abner. Uh, the uh, commander of Joshua of uh, Ishbosheth's army here, and they're going to try to take him out. But this wasn't something David ordered. You don't see David in this picture anywhere. <laughs> these guys were just doing this, okay? And one of these guys, we're told, the guy that's called Asahel, we're told he's extremely fast, as fast as a wild gazelle, okay? So verse 19, <clears throat> so Asahel pursued Abner. He's, he's taken off. He's in the lead. And in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. So Asahel must have figured, you know, that if he could take out Abner, then all of Ishbah's people are going to have to submit and they'd be brought under David's control. So he makes a beeline for Abner and nothing is going to stop him, or so he thought. Verse 20, then Abner looked behind him and he said, are you Asahel? And he answered, I am. <laughs> so here's Abner, he's on the run. He turns around, sees this guy come flying toward him. And he says, this must be that guy I've heard about. So Abner apparently knows about this guy and his speed. He also knows that this guy is a relative of David. He's aware of that, we see later on. So he's going to try to avoid killing him because he knows that killing Asahel, that would start a feud between Saul's family and David's family that could get very bloody. So he's going to try to talk Asahel, Asahel, excuse me, Asahel, it's our name we use every day, out of, this conversa- out of this confrontation that's taking place. So verse 21, Abner said to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left. It's like, I don't care which way you go, but go somewhere else and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following. So apparently in his zeal, this guy's coming after Abner, and it appears that he wasn't wearing any armor, probably so he could run faster. Makes sense, right? <laughs> but Abner knows that this is a bad idea. So he tries to get his L to stop and at least put on somebody else's armor. Uh, that would kind of make it a fair fight, you know, with Abner, at least he has a chance. You know, so, and you think about this, sometimes our zeal can get us to do things without thinking things through very well. I mean, what were you thinking? What are you going to do when you get there, when you catch the guy? He's kind of suited up for war and you don't have anything on, right? Scary. So verse 22. 
So Abner said again to Asahel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother, Joab? He said, I know this is a family thing here. and I don't think this is going to be good. You might need to stop this. So Abner gives him a second warning. And it sounds like he, he's trying to get him to seriously think this through, you know. So you can picture this young guy. He's trying to run down Abner, who was older and had much more experience under his belt when it came to fighting battles. So this guy wasn't thinking through uh, things very well. But, you know, speaking about thinking things through, Abner's really the one who's behind this whole conflict because he didn't recognize David as king, but he decided to put Saul's king, uh, son in as king. So it's Abner's selfish plan that was really setting up this horrible situation in the first place. You know, and again, this is a big problem when we take matters in our own hands rather than listening to the Lord and what he tells us in his word. We don't know all the possible outcomes or possible horrible situations that we can get ourselves into, but God does. So if we do things his way, we can avoid bringing a terrible mess on ourselves. And Abner here, he's going to learn a very hard lesson from this. We're not going to see it in this chapter as much, but man, there's some, there, his day is coming. Uh, verse 23, however, this is Asahel, he refused to turn aside. He said, nope. In his mind, he's probably thinking, oh, he's just trying to distract me. I'm not turning aside, buddy. I'm coming after you. You're mine. So he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear. So he didn't hit him with the pointy end. So that the spear came out his back, and he fell down there, and he died on the spot. Wow. He didn't even use the pointy end of his spear, we're told. Interesting detail. So I don't know if this was just a very sneaky trick that he pulled, you know, uh, making this guy think, oh, he's not even prepared to fight me, man. His back's to me, and he turns around and hits him with the blunt end of the spear. I'm not sure if that was the deal. Uh, it could have been that Asahel was just coming so fast that Abner didn't have time to turn around to stick his spear on him the right way. I, I'm not sure on that one, you know, but here's Abner. He, he's trying maybe just to knock the wind out of this guy. I'm not sure. You know, there's a lot of options here. Uh, he probably, from what I hear with this conversation, I'd almost wonder, were you trying to just knock the wind out of him so you didn't kill him? Because, you know, you don't want this bloody feud going on. But whatever it was, the force of Asahel running so fast made the spear go straight through him. So either way, Asahel died, and Abner just opened a huge can of worms. I mean, how sad. Abner refused to submit to God's will, and now look at all the pain he brought on because of his own foolish actions. So when Job's soldiers finally caught up with Asahel, notice what happened at the end of verse 23. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. So his soldiers that were running behind him and couldn't keep up with his speed, they finally get there and they find his dead body lying on the ground. And it says they, they all stood still there, you know, either out of respect or out of shock. But, but here's a gifted young man whose life had just come to an end. You know, we find there's a lot of sorrow in the story and it's meant to be here. God wants us to feel the pain of what, what it's like and what happens when people like Abner feel that they know better than God, you know? We all have some Abner in us at times, don't we? 
We don't like God's way of doing things sometimes. It doesn't make sense to us, or we think that's too hard, or we just don't want to do it that way. So we think we can do better if we just launch out on our own. So as we go through the passage, let this pain do its work and teach us to be careful to do things God's way. Verse 24 goes on, Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. These are his two brothers that are remaining, Asel's brothers. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Ammah, which is before Gia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on top of a hill. So even though Abner's men were losing the battle, enough of them were able to get together here and be able to say that we can take a stand now. They, they joined together, said we're going we're gonna to be this unit now and we got the high ground. So it gave them confidence that they could make a stand to defend themselves. Now, if the battle goes on, though, you know, then it just means that more Israelites are going to die at the hand of their own relatives. And Abner realizes this. So verse 26, then Abner called to Joab, and he said this, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? So he points this out. So he makes another plea here to stop the fighting. He even points out that this is a fight between Israelites fighting their own relatives. You know, one thing that he says here, he should have said to himself before he ever decided to come up with his own plan and oppose David as king. He should have asked himself, do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? You know, and this statement is one of those you need to underline in your Bible. Whenever we're thinking about taking matters in our own hands and doing things our own way rather than God's way, this is the most important question we need to ask ourselves. Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? (laughs) See, we can't do anything better than to do God's will. We can't improve on that. So how do we think we're going to come up with a better plan than God can? He has infinite knowledge. He knows what's best for us. And the beautiful thing is that God desires the best for us. He's not keeping us from bad things or good things. He's keeping us from bad things. So God doesn't want us to have to live with regrets from messing things up royally by doing things our own way. You know, I don't think I've ever heard someone make this statement. Boy, I sure wish I hadn't done things God's way. Things would have turned out so much better my way. Have you ever heard that statement? I've never heard that one from anybody. Yeah. But how many times in the Bible do you see the sad endings from major mistakes that people made by ignoring God's way and doing things the way they thought was best? We see tons of regrets in people in the Bible who went down those wrong roads. You know, that's why the Lord gives us stories like these we see today, because he's trying to bless us and spare us from all the hurt that we can cause ourselves. Look at verse 28 in the passage here. <clears throat> Joab said this. He's, he's responding to Abner who said, man, do you want to keep killing Israelites? You really want to do that? So verse 27, Joab said, as God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. <laughs> he's kind of saying there wouldn't be anybody left to pursue <laughs> if you didn't say something to stop this. Because he's saying my men are strong enough to fight all night long. 
and we're not stopping until you're done. So he's telling him, you spoke up at a good time. That's what he's kind of saying. So thankfully at this point, Job agrees with Abner. And he's going to call off the fighting and say we need to stop. You know, but he lets him know that, that you know, we're, we're able to fight till the morning if we have to. So here are these two guys kind of flopping up their feathers toward each other, you know. And we're raising these chickens now, you know, at our place. And it's kind of comical to see these chickens run up to each other, you know, stick out their chest and fluff their feathers to look bigger and stuff, you know. And basically they're saying, I'm as tough as you are, you know. They're, they're saying to each other. And you're thinking as you watch this, you guys are a bunch of chickens, you know. I mean, what are you really going to do? <laughs> you got nothing to work with here, right? So it's silly looking, but you wonder... Is that how goofy we look to the Lord when we stick out our chest and our foolish pride, you know, and say, I'm as tough as you are? The Lord's like, you're just a bunch of chickens, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> so here's these guys, you know, and they're mouthing off somewhat, even though it's going to change here. So verse 28, so Joab blew a trumpet. All the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they find any more. So Joab stops the fight. He says, okay, guys, time, time to stop. And he blows the warning trumpet. Verse 29, then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain. They crossed over the Jordan, and they went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanam. So these are the, the Abner, the guy that's uh, lined up Saul's son here. They got this walk home and takes them all night to do that. And that was a long walk to, to walk home in the night. They probably had a lot of time to think as they were walking, you know. How do you think these soldiers felt? They're having to return to their homes and the homes of their tribal relatives to give the sad news that some of their own Israelite relatives had ended their lives. You know, they've been killed by other Israelites. And they're going to have to go home and tell their neighbors and family members, your, your guy's not coming home. He was killed by another Israelite. I mean, what a sad, crazy mess of a story. It kind of makes you think of our own civil war we had in our own homeland. They had times like that too, I'm sure they'd come home and Say, nah, not going to make it home. This guy, he was killed by our cousin or something, you know. Man's selfishness has caused so much pain and sorrow. And when you look back, you just see a huge mountain of regret, you know. So much of that could have been avoided if people would have just asked themselves when they were about to ignore God's wisdom, do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? You wish we would get that one, you know. So verse 30 goes on, so Joab returned from pursuing Abner. So this is David's men now, they're going to come back. It says, and when he had gathered all the people together, they were missing of David's servants 19 men in Asahel. So there were, there were 20 guys here. And as they were taking this count, as they got all the guys together and started going back, that probably was the first time that Joab knew about the death of his brother Asahel. I'm figuring there. Because he probably would have relentlessly pursued Abner until the end, until he put an end to him if he, if he would have known. We'll see later on that uh, Joab does not forget this event. He's going to take revenge. So this was a sad loss for David's men. But it's amazing when you look at the loss of the other side. Look in verse 31. It says, The servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men 360 men who died. So picture this, you know, this fight that took place. David lost 20 guys on his side. These guys lost 360 guys, right? So this tells us that how skilled David's men were, 
I mean, these guys really were special forces guys. And it also shows us that David trained them very well. These guys knew what they were doing. You don't want to mess with these guys on the battlefield. So verse 32 goes on. Then they took up Asahel, and they buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. So Asahel, his battle was over, and it came to a swift end. But I'm sure Joab and his men were thinking, when David hears this news of what just happened, this war is just getting started. And we get a glimpse of that in chapter 3, verse 1. We'll just stop here. But it says, now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. It says, but David grew stronger and stronger and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So we learn in our passage today how much we can hurt ourselves when we decide that we don't need to stop leaning on our own understanding. We can use that. And we don't have to do it God's way. I've got a better idea. And this whole passage shows us this, and it's going to continue on for another passage or so as we go further down the road, Lord, willing to to see more on that. And like I said, the Lord lets us see this. He wants us to know You want a life of regrets? Do things your own way. You want to bring pain in your life and your family's life and other people's life? Do things your own way. And you will. That's what's going to happen. But you want to avoid a lot of that. Do things God's way. And watch how he can bless, how he can work. I mean, in all of this, we saw little pictures of David, very very sharp pictures here. David's at peace. He's not worried about stuff. He's not complaining. He's just trusting the Lord. Doing things God's way now. Things seem to be going okay for him. But uh, these guys are trying to pull, pull a stunt. They're bringing a lot of pain to a lot of people. Yeah. So, you know, we say, Lord, help us to submit to your wisdom and to your will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for passages like this, even though they hurt. It makes us sad, Lord, to see how bad things get. When you're so clear in your word, you tell us what to do and Sometimes we ignore it, Lord, and and shame on us because we will suffer for that. Father, I pray right now, if if we're in that place where we've been making decisions and choosing, Lord, whether we're going to follow your way or not, I pray, help us today to submit and say, Lord, your ways are best. Sometimes I don't understand them. It doesn't make sense, but I want to do it your way. So, Lord, please help us with that. Lord, I pray today if there's someone that that we know that doesn't know Christ yet, help them to come to the cross. Just like we were singing earlier, the price has been paid, the the offering is there to receive full forgiveness from the Lord, have our sins taken care of, and, and receive his eternal forgiveness. So Lord, I pray that you would move in people's hearts and use us this week as we have chance to speak to people about Christ. We pray, Lord, your spirit would work through us, help us to get out of the way. And we pray you would let them know the truth that's in Christ, that they can receive him and and find the peace that is only found in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your word today. Thank you for your time. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.